Francisco 49 is deep in the heart. Like Joe Montana in the corner, deep Clark. Garrison Hurst, stiff form going 99. Don't get it twisted, one and all with prime time. John Taylor, Jerry Rice down the sideline. NDB, greatest owner of all time. Groovy, Walgreens, Bill Belichick, where all students of Bill Walsh don't ever forget. Welcome to the 49er Faithful UK show. Or at least that is what you'd have to put up with if we had recorded on Monday. But voices have returned and we will do our best to unpack the good, the bad and the ugly from a disappointing 28-14 loss to the Falcons. I'm Gareth Ellis and I'm joined by Paul Hope. Doesn't feel great, Gareth. And Lee Gowland. Hey guys. So firstly, the good. Unless you've been hiding under a desk, you might be aware that there was a 49ers watch party in Leeds for Sunday's game. We've got a lot of people to thank, not least everyone who attended. So we are going to record a special watch party review show to make sure we give it the time it deserves. And for the effort a lot of people put in to making a good show uh, and a good night for all. Also, any listeners who are already sick of seeing and hearing all about it on Facebook, you can just skip that show. But it is enough to say it was a great event uh, and grab the next pod if you want to hear all the grubby details. Uh, Lads, anything you want to say quickly about the event before we move on to the game? No, I I think I'm going to leave it for that specialist, uh, that that one-off podcast about the event. I I think that's a good idea. Let's leave it to that one there. Good, good. So uh, it means we have to start with the bad then. Game result, four, Niners fall to 3-3 three and three to a surprisingly effective Falcons team who were, in my opinion, deserved winners. Once again, the offence failed to take its chances and a generally stout defensive performance holding Atlanta to only three scoring drives was not enough to claw out a win. One game only managed a miserable 50 yards at 3.1 per carry and we pretty much abandoned the run game in the second half. Jeff Wilson's fumble on our second possession also put us down 14 points early. So, Lee, what went wrong with the running game? What went wrong with the running game? Well, we gave up on it too early, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the whole team didn't feel as though it was on point on Sunday night. There was a, it was a lacklustre display. Effort seemed to be very half-heartedly attempted, in, especially in the first half. Um, I think somebody mentioned it during the night that, uh, Jeff Wilson definitely has a, a fumble or two in him every couple of games, um, which is unfortunate because he, when he's on form, he does play really well. But I think the main thing that happened that went wrong, and it didn't really go wrong, you have to give credit to the Falcons. The Falcons turned up with a game plan that they thought would win them the game, and they executed that game plan absolutely perfectly. Now, I'm not saying that we couldn't have beat them if some of our mistakes didn't happen because we did have plenty of mistakes and lack of effort and not everybody was playing on form but you have to give credit to the falcons they turned up and did exactly what they wanted to do with us and it's a long time since i've seen any team bully us like that we got the nfc championship game last season we got beat by the rams shocker yeah right um but the rams didn't the rams didn't give us as many problems as what the falcons did last night I was very impressed with the way they were consistently swarming to the ball, whether or not it was a pass player or a rush player. They had bodies behind anybody that had that ball. And that made it difficult for us. And it was another one of these games where, I'm not going to say Kyle got in his own way, but he struggled to adjust. Mm. He took far too long to adjust. And when he did eventually adjust, it didn't really work for too long. 
So it, it's difficult to say where did it go wrong because there were so many points where it went wrong, not just on offense. And I know we're talking about the run game. We're talking about the run game. Some of the blocking was pretty poor. I have to uh, say, though, I thought Mike McClinchy was probably one of our best players on the night. I, th I thought he had a really good game. Um, but you look at the other, the rest of the O-line, Jake Brendel had an absolute shocker. And I'm not just talking about the three penalty flags. I think all game long, he struggled. Um, Grady Jarrett, I think he had his number all night long. And uh, that that's kind of prevented us creating those gaps for the run game. And I'm sure Paul's just about to uh, say exactly the opposite of everything I've just said. How about Paul? Well, funnily enough, Lee, I'm glad you said about the Falcons. In my notes, Gareth, I wanted just to say I owe the Atlanta Falcons an apology. I, like many other San Francisco 49er fans, came in at this game very bullish. I didn't look too much into what the Falcons did. And if you go back and listen to the preview show, I probably sound very daft with the way the game unfolded. But I think, Lee, <laughs> I think we looked like a team, Gareth, that was missing its starting offensive tackles, cornerbacks, three defensive linemen. There was a safety, running back, linebacker. And you said about the injuries. Every team in the NFL has injuries, but it does seem to have that sinking feeling. It feels a little bit 2020-esque to me. But the stats are telling, Gareth, the run game just was non-existent. And Lee said it quite well. The Falcons did what the Rams did to us. The Falcons ran the ball 40 times. Mariota beat us with his legs. And our run game was non-existent. And it felt a bit like a pre-season game. The second touchdown for me, I was stood next to her, um, a couple of people in Leeds. And we just all kind of looked at each other. It was a comedy of errors. He fumbled the ball. Then it looked like Kittle was going to tackle the defender. Then he dropped the ball in the end zone. And he just seemed to pick it up. And I was thinking, surely that's not a touchdown. And in the NFL, Gareth, you go two scores down. And if you're not running the ball very well, it's very difficult to come back. And like Lee said, I think we do need to have the conversation, gents, about Kyle Shanahan. He is the head coach. We've given him a lot of love on this show. But as the head coach, it's his responsibility to prepare the team. And I agree with what Lee said. We just didn't look prepared. And I don't know whether you saw George Kittle's interview. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know how you chaps felt about that, but... The run game, Gareth, I mean, we've been bigging Jeff Wilson up. I mean, that fumble was just, it was just a momentum killer. As Nadji would say, if he was here to give us his pearls of wisdom. Well, I've, I've got to say, when you have one of your captains of the team saying stuff like that, and then you come out as a head coach, and, you, and oh, I think I'm stealing Gareth's thunder here, <laughs> and you come out as a head coach and you disagree with what your captain said, then it starts to look as though potentially that Kyle is starting to lose the locker room, especially when it's such a marquee player as George Kittle, who, who's coming out and saying this. And it's been backed up by Fred Warner, who's also confirmed that at halftime, Demeco Ryans absolutely went to town on the defence because of the effort level. Yeah, I mean, it is it is that second row game. We we have done reasonably well with the, uh, you know, the two-week camp out, as it were. Um but I think you're, you're right. It seemed to be flat. I was a bit surprised at George's uh, comments because watching the game back, it's difficult to see. You know, Debo was putting the effort in. Ayuk was fighting for the yards. Kittle was fighting for the yards. It, it's, you know, defence was still flying around the place. I It was difficult to sort of point a finger, I think, at any particular players thinking that there's there's not much effort there. 
So it was it was odd and it was slightly, you know, Jimmy's uh, sorry, George has usually towed the line, hasn't he? And he says the right things. So so you are right. That was it was slightly odd that he came out and effectively called out some teammates, not by name, but was effectively pointing the finger at other people. And that's been one thing I think that that's defined Shanahan's team. Whenever there's been problems, they've always tended to have ignored talking about anyone else and always said, oh, it, the game is what it is. I should have played better rather than pointing the fingers at someone else. So that's certainly something I think to keep an eye on um, as the uh, as the season goes on. I do think, though, Gareth, that we do need to stress the Falcons played well on Sunday. So yeah. Just before you move on, I was asked a question by an onlooker who wasn't an NFL fan, and they were saying, oh, what would you say to somebody getting new into the sport? How do you get fans in the UK and the NFL? And any team can beat any team on the day. I mean, not many people had the Jets beating the Packers. Not many people had the Falcons beating the 49ers. And I do think credit where credit's due. Like Lee said, they had a game plan. They executed it. And you can't take anything away from the Falcons. I just wanted to get that on the record because we are very bullish on this show. We have our red and gold tinted glasses, as you said in the last show, Gareth. So credit where credit's due to any Falcons fans that are listening. Absolutely. As as Lee said, they had a good game plan uh, and they executed it. And the worrying thing about that is it is a copycat league. People can see what they've done. And I think man for man, we're pretty much better than the Falcons across the board. There may be a few positions we could argue about, but that just shows that with the right coaching, the right organisation and the right game plan, uh, you can nullify the individual talents that you're facing. Uh, and it, and it's an ultimately a team performance. The pass game did fare a little bit better. Jimmy put up almost 300 yards, 83 yards and two TDs to Ayuk. Two TDs was my prediction, um, though it's not much of a uh, victory. 83 yards to Kittle and 79 to Debo. However, this doesn't tell the whole story with some drop deep passes and some poor throws when it really mattered. What did you make of Jimmy's performance and the pass game as a whole, Paul? Well, Nadji is probably going to turn off if he's listening at the point. And I promise you, Gareth, Neil Watson has not exchanged any money. But I can't blame Jimmy for this. You've just said there with some of the drops. We could have been sat here, Gareth, with Jimmy Garoppolo with 400 yards, four touchdowns. I mean, when you look at the numbers there, Jimmy's thrown the ball 41 times. Normally, would be a recipe for disaster in a Kyle Shanahan offence. And I know we lost the game. But, I mean, that deep ball to Ray Ray McLeod, if Ray Ray catches that and runs that in, Gareth, that's probably the best throw of Jimmy Garoppolo's career. The one to um, Charlie Warner. I've seen a picture on Twitter today, Gareth, where it's freeze-framed. I cannot believe he didn't catch that ball. Mm. And I'm obviously not an NFL player. I'm just saying when you take some things like that. But for me, Jimmy, he delivered one of the better performances of his career. Um, I don't think the offence was particularly bad in the passing game. But the run game was just non-existent. So I do think Nagy may disagree with me. But uh, again, the offensive line. Jimmy didn't get sacked on Sunday. Now, the turnovers, his first turnover, I'm going to give a little bit of credit because it was towards, it was coming up to half time. It was pretty much a Hail Mary throw. The second one was just a typical Jimmy that we've seen, why we've moved on, Gareth. Um, and it was just a bit of a momentum crusher when that one came in, when that, that interception came in. It was just like, oh, man, right at the start of the fourth quarter, your two scores down, the last thing you need is turning the ball over. What do you think, Lee? Am I being a bit too positive here? 
Well, I'm, I'm over the moon that you didn't use uh, a tipped ball as being an excuse for that second interception because the only reason that ball was tipped is because it was thrown too high. Yeah. That's why it was a tipped ball. The first one, I'm, I'm not going to give him any leeway on that. Um, we had plenty of time to do a quick out, which would have put us in a reasonable position for Robbie Gould to try a field goal. He ended up throwing it into triple coverage, which is the most Jimmy-esque thing you can do. However, he wasn't helped by his support and staff, the likes of Kittle, Warner. Um, who else was it? Was it uh, Ray Ray McLeod that dropped that um, deep pass? Three passes like that. So... Nadji, has got a couple of points that he wanted to make, and uh, if it wasn't for the fact that my voice was so, so I may even try a French accent, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so I'll go to um, Nadji's second point, which is relevant now. So sure, it wasn't Jimmy's fault, but it also was. He just can't win you any games. That was his time to put the team on his back and win the game, and he didn't. And yes, there was drops, but ten drives, two scores is abysmal. Three out nine on third down, zero and one fourth quarter, and he ends with hashtag start Brock. So, yeah, I understand where he's coming from, but I am going to disagree with him as well. And I'm going to use, I'm going to use um, an example that he gave. I think it was last year. The team is only good enough to counteract so many of Jimmy's mistakes. Well, on Sunday night, Jimmy was only so good to counteract so many of the team's mistakes had the team played well or had the defense played well and jimmy had made or jimmy hadn't carried the team to a victory then yeah i could see the point but to me jimmy was probably above average of all the players that were on that field those three drops were absolutely criminal those three drops each one of them could have ended up going for a touchdown and you got three scores there so you can't really blame Jimmy for that or say Jimmy wasn't good enough to carry the team. On Sunday night, I think Jimmy was good enough to get us that win. Those drop passes were absolutely huge. Those were momentum killers. Those swung swung the game in Atlanta's favour. If we can't catch balls like that, then we've got absolutely no hope. That's not on Jimmy. I mean, time and time again... The second interception, I've just said, that was definitely Jimmy's fault through two Oh, high. yeah, it was, it was his worst throw of the night. Like yeah. you said, I wasn't going to give any credit for the tip. It was it was a great play by the defence, but it was a terrible throw. Yeah, but to me, you, you just can't blame Jimmy. It wasn't Jimmy's fault we didn't win that game. This was a team effort in not winning a game. Mm. That's what it was. It was a team effort. i tell you what was frustrating as well, jumping on in your point, Brendel. I think when Jimmy completed that pass to Ayuk... We were all yeah. celebrating. Then you saw the yellow flag go up and, and Brendel had a terrible game. Um, but I think, Gareth, you asked a general question about the offence. I mean, we put up a goose egg in the second half, our third loss of the season. We've made some, the Falcons, the Bears, the Broncos have all been terrible. Their games, we should have been winning. And if you look at those three losses, I mean, the points that we've put up, we've averaged 11.3 points per game while only putting up six total points in the second half of those three games. And it's not good enough when you've got an offence with Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. I thought Samuel and Ayuk played well on Sunday, Lee. Mm. I mean, I don't know if you watched Good Morning Football this afternoon and they had Debo Samuel on with his angry run where he evaded the first tackler and then, you know, put the cornerback <laughs> into the ground and that was deep in the fourth quarter. But we didn't have too much to cheer about on Sunday, Gareth. Um 
I think, you know, we got it back to 14-14. Confidence was bubbling a little bit, but the Falcons soon snapped that out. But, uh, yeah, I agree with what you've got to say there, Lee. I think the most telling um, shot of Sunday night on the TV was, I think it must have been midway through midway through the fourth quarter, maybe early on the fourth quarter, and it was I who sat next to Debo, and the pair of them looked absolutely shell-shocked. They didn't know what had happened, and I think that was the most telling thing because that's it actually felt as though the, the whole team looked like that. Mm. And and going back to Jake Brendel a little bit there, yes, he, he did have the three penalties, and I did call that out a little bit before. I did think he had a poor game, but two of those penalties were caused by um, one the fact that Jimmy didn't get rid of the ball quick enough, so he was having to hold the guy because he would have been sacked. And it's the type of thing that normally, had that been the only penalty he had, we'd have been saying, well, at least Jimmy didn't get sacked and end up with an injury. But he held, so Jimmy could get rid of the ball. The other one was um, ineligible man downfield. So he'd obviously moved off downfield because Jimmy hadn't gotten rid of the ball quick enough again so that we can move downfield and that wouldn't that wouldn't have been an issue. Um, what was the other one? Snap infraction. Well, snap infraction is completely on him. That's his fault. That, that, that one out of three penalties, you can definitely see a Jake Brendel's fault. The other two is potentially because of timing, timing it, getting the ball out of the hand. Mm. Well, I think that that showed the how good I think the Falcons' game plan was because they barely blitzed. They rushed four, and they said we'll we'll cover everything in the secondary. And all we'll give you is what you usually do, which is those short checkdowns to Debo or, or running back in the flat. Uh, and we know that we don't have to actually pressure Jimmy into making mistakes because he had almost too long to throw. And I think that was what was, was surprising. He wasn't sacked. He had a lot of time and there was just nowhere to go. And I think they'd identified that the strength of Jimmy's game is those quick passes over the middle and getting that tempo going, and it's seven yards, five yards, nine yards, and they just took that away. And I think you know that's not necessarily all on Jimmy. That's on Kyle, For as as seems to always be the, the case. He doesn't seem to have a plan B and seems surprised that a defence has set out to stop what we do well. Surely he realises that's what every defensive coordinator spends the whole week doing, working out how to take away our, our strengths, and leave us with with the weaker parts of our game. And I think Jimmy did reasonably well, but I think it always comes back to, with Jimmy, it's it's not the throws he makes. If you're a Jimmy fan, you can point out some really good throws, but that the one to Kittle in the end zone where he's on the run, yes, he's been flushed, but he had plenty of time, and that that is wide open in the NFL. And again, he just skied it. And it's the same one with the second interception, as you've covered. It was t- it was too high. Debo's bailed him out, um, particularly against the Rams with a few of those high throws. And you do notice that I think secondaries are well drilled. They say if if the receiver is covered, try and get behind the throw because Jimmy's going to overthrow it, and you've got to be Johnny on the spot to pick it up. And the and whoever it was from the Falcons defense, he was right there, waiting for that to happen. Yeah, sorry, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna defend Jimmy again on that Kittle throw into the end zone because Jimmy was quite clearly pointing to him to get to the back of the end zone and Kittle moved to the front of the end zone. Well why he moved to the front of the end zone when Jimmy's pointing to the back is beyond me. Well I think as a quarterback you've got to throw it to where the receiver is, isn't it? Not really, not when you're leading the uh, receiver. 
Yeah. I mean, this is this is one of the complaints about Jimmy. Why doesn't he lead the receiver? He was quite clearly leading receiver in that point. Uh, and Kittle went in the opposite direction to where Jimmy was pointing. And Jimmy put the ball where he was pointing. Yeah, I, was, I, I, was, I, I would I was, disagree on that because I think he <laughs> skied it right out the back of the end zone. And unless unless Kittle happens to be nine foot tall, he was never, not going to catch it anyway. See, I was going to agree with both of you in a way. <laughs> and I was going to say, Gareth, watching the game back without the emotion... You touched upon something we talked about, what we do with the teams. The Falcons, like you said, didn't blitz a lot. And that surprised me. Like you said, they put the pressure with four. And I thought Jimmy did well moving around the pocket. But like you said, mm. there, Lee, there was a couple of times he kept hold of the ball, which led to the penalty. And that one with Kittle, when I've watched it back, Gareth, I think it's a bit of both, which surprised me because we always hear this great relationship Kittle and Jimmy have. But like Lee said, when you watch it back, he's clearly directing him. I think the way Kittle broke his route. But for me as well, I didn't like how we didn't go hurry up in that fourth quarter. Mm. We just seemed to kind of like, we were the team ahead. And I know Kyle likes to script his first, you know, 15 plays of the first half and then the second half. But he didn't seem like, he was like, Gareth, to go away from his, you know, plan B. And there was no hurry up offence. And we were two scores behind. You know, we were going in the huddle and we were just being dead nonchalant with the ball. But... It seemed to be a bit of a, a weird end for me towards Sunday. I don't know how you two felt about Carl's play calling in those last 10 minutes. Go on, Gareth. I'll, I'll, I'll let you answer that first before I start uh, ranting. We uh, we drove the ball reason, reasonably well. We overcame those penalties. There was the, the big throw to Ayuk, which was obviously called back. There was a big completion to Debo. Uh, we moved the ball reasonably well. Obviously, we lost a little bit of time, but you know, we weren't panicked. We didn't try and make those, or we didn't make those errors through being too hurried. But I, th- I think it just ended badly because we were on third and one. We did a run that didn't go anywhere, and then Jimmy throws the ball into the ground at a receiver's feet at fourth and one. And it just seems to be once again we get into the red zone and and we fall apart. And it, and it's it's been this story all season in the second half. Whatever it is, defenses do. They seem to adjust to anything we do well in the first half, take that away. And we, we just don't seem to have any ideas. I think part of the reason we moved the ball quite well is is that the Falcons in the fourth quarter went to that softer defence and said, we're going to defend the perimeter, we're going to take away the big throws, and we're going to keep that clock running, which is exactly what you do with a 14 yeah. lead. Um, and, and, you know, maybe that looked made us look a bit better by moving the ball because as soon as we got to the to the red zone there was the, yeah the chance to kittle which we will we will agree to disagree on but yeah. you know that was that was second and one that's exactly what you should do go for that go for the end zone then and then the third and one went nowhere and then the fourth and one just seemed to be no one seemed to be knew, knowing quite what to do on that fourth and one it just seemed to be jimmy got the ball out quick and and you know the receiver either wasn't quite ready wasn't where he should be I don't know. It's just it's just these miscues that just seem to be plaguing the team at the moment. Uh, and it's it is just becoming a bit groundhog day because we saw this. It's the same thing we saw early last season. Uh, and, you know, we've seen it before. Um, and I don't know what it is, um, but you, you've got to look at coaching, first of all, I think. Um, but I, I, I don't have answers unless any of you lads do. Well, I don't, I don't particularly have any, any answers to that, but I will see on the coaching team. And like I said, this is probably going to sound like a rant. 
Well, I've been saying it for a while now that um, Carl Shanahan isn't progressing as a head coach. His mm. time management has been utterly garbage since he started. He hasn't seemed to have gotten his head around um, how to get the team more urgent, which is what I originally thought George was talking about in his comments. We saw lackadaisical in the way we go down the field. It's unbelievable. That last um, long drive that we had, we, we started with uh, 10.42 on the clock. We moved the ball 80 yards and it took us eight minutes and eight seconds in the fourth quarter when mm. you're down by two scores and, and that is absolutely unforgivable. The excuse that Shanahan's come out with that we had plenty of time, we didn't have to panic. You don't have to panic, but you can you can get the players in quicker. You can show some urgency. Showing some urgency isn't panicking and you were two scores down. Had they been a lot quicker than what they were, we may have had a chance to pull that round at the end. But we didn't and that's because his time management is terrible he hasn't learned it continues to be terrible and if i'm honest i think it's getting to the point where you've got to consider kyle to be on the hot seat because of some of the decisions he makes as a head coach offensively he can he can script players he's a fantastic oc but he hasn't proven to be a fantastic head coach i mm. don't think he has and at the moment I now think that he's probably losing the locker room. Like I said, when you've got the likes of Kittle coming out and saying stuff, you've got the likes of Warner coming out and saying stuff. And to be honest, the worst case scenario I can see for us come the end of the season is that Kyle still is a head coach and we lose to Meko Ryans mm. because we have an inbuilt head coach on our team. Mm. Interesting. Controversial, yeah. <laughs> I think it's, I, I'd agree, We it's six seasons now. We've given Shanahan the benefit of the doubt, particularly building the team from nothing. Uh, and you're right, the, our offence doesn't look much better than when we had Nick Mullins throwing it to Pierre Garçon and Marquise Goodwin and, and Carlos Hyde in the run, in, in the run uh, game. I don't know, I, have, I was, I'm meant to check, but I don't think we're scoring more points per game than we did then. And at that time, you could say, OK, Kyle hasn't got the players he wants. He's building the team. But we've built that. We've built that team and we've seen what it can do. And now everyone else seems to have just worked out what we do well and taken it away from us. And we, we don't seem to have an answer in the way that just no one can stop Mahomes to Kelsey. We all know it's going to happen. And he, well, he scored four touchdowns a couple of weeks ago. They just we, Where is that in our offence? Where, where are our weapons really being used or, or allowed to shine? The, the weapons are doing well because they're very, very talented players. It's Debo breaking tackles. It's, it's Kittle putting his head down and getting those extra two yards for first down. And the, the roots on Ayuk's touchdowns were, were fantastic. He, you know, he's really growing into a top, top receiver. Why, why, aren't this, why isn't this being translated into points? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, exactly. I'm at a loss. I was going to say, yeah. Gareth... Um, we talked about it all season, our struggles on third down. We finished on Sunday, lads, three for eight on third down. And the way Shanahan's built his offence, you get the run game going, you get four or five yards of first attempt, you know, you get a couple of yards of second attempt, and then third and short. But when you're constantly third and long, and I think what made it worse, Gareth, was the Falcons converted nine of their 14, mm. including that one to Mariota. Nobody escaped the pocket, attacked yeah. the edge, and he just seemed to be running forever. And I know at that point I was thinking... This is what you get, Paul, for saying Mariota's not a threat with his legs and Nadji was probably chuckling on one side and not on the other. But 
you say there, I agree with you, Gareth. You look at Nick Mullins, you look at that offence, and you look at the weapons he's got now, there's got to be some questions pointed towards Kyle because we've just spent 20 minutes saying that Jimmy wasn't totally to blame. Ayuk, those two touchdowns were fantastic. And you do get some props for calling the two touchdowns, Gareth. You know, you <laughs> give yourself your flowers for them, mate. Yeah, I was uh, I was I was getting all cocky in the second quarter. I thought Ayuk's going to ruin my prediction by scoring two more now, isn't he? But um, yeah, I think we yeah, got if only ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Anyway, you've you've touched on the defense, and I think that's a that's a good point to move on to. Um, it was a good offensive game plan and a very efficient performance by Mariota, both through the air and on the ground. Saw the score, Falcons score early and never fall behind, scoring again to end the first half and scoring early in the third to build a lead enabling to run the clock and secure the win. Is there really anything we can blame for a defence that only gave up three scores away from home? I mean, we were down our entire first string defensive line on Sunday, Gareth. And I think that's short and it isn't a knock on Jackson and Charles. On me near you. Did I get that right, Lee? Being practicing almost. a little bit? On <laughs> actually, actually, if you have a look at the cheat sheet on 49ers.com, they changed it from this season to last season. Last season, it was Omenehu. This this season, it's Omenahu on the I cheat mean, sheet. I mean, Charles, Jackson, Ibuka. Charlie Boy. Yeah, they, they played all right for me, Gareth, but you, you lost Nick Bosa, and I think it did show that we surrender. The, the Falcons established the run game, which, like Lee said at the start, teams don't very rarely do that to us. But I'm not blaming the defence. I just think it showed that we didn't have our stellar starting pieces out there. Do you think that's fair to say, Lee? Or do you think I'm maybe looking a little bit too... No, I I think that's exactly right, mate. I think it actually shows how much we're actually missing uh, Yvonne Kinlaw. People keep on saying that he he hasn't lived up to the hype. However, he's really good at the run-stopping. And we're missing Eric Armstead as well. And once you take those two away, Hassan Ridgeway had been having a decent... um, game substituting for the two of them but then we got into Friday, uh, Sunday's game and that was it just all went to pot so no I, I think that's that's a fair point Paul I think missing the whole defensive line was always going to be a struggle we lost um, Manny last week uh, and that was going to be a struggle and then uh, Mooney Watt with his grind so we don't have the bare bones on um, defence we, we do have a really good depth of talent on the roster but it'll only go so far um for me there's a couple of couple of players that had poor games and um i really didn't want to say this but mm. uh sammy womack was one of them he he kind of whiffed on both of the both of the touchdowns um the one to pitts and mariota running it in um that one both womack and won a bit to it but it was womack's job to seal that edge to stop them getting around there and he just bit too early so that that one was on Womack and the pits one he was a mile away from him he just let him get away so it wasn't a great game for Sammy which was disappointing because I'd been looking forward so much to seeing him start I think in the first half I saw Hafanga whiff on two tackles mm. and then one in the second half as well so it's it's not as though it's some of the fringe players that had a bad game. Some of the main players that were having a bad game as well. So some of our stars this season were having a bad game. And when you have so many pieces of your team that aren't playing up to the level that we expect of them, the level that they've already shown this season, then you're on a hiding to nothing, especially with all the injuries. I mean, 
if we look at it a different way, Gareth, we only, only, the defence allowed 21 points on Sunday, which is about right for the league average, because obviously we scored the one where, they scored the one where Wilson coughed it up. But I think Lee's touched on a good point. When I watched it back on the game in 40, I think we were a bit over-aggressive at times on the edge, like Lee said. I think Mariota was waiting for them to bite Lee, and then he was just breaking through. But I didn't want to mention the Warmack one, but when I watched it back, the Mariota touchdown, like you said, Lee, was on Warmack, unfortunately. But if he learns from this, he's a rookie, you know, trying to keep the positivity going because I don't want you to retire that number 26 just yet, Lee. No, that won't be getting retired at all. It's coming every, every week. So one thing about that fumble, because I was absolutely gobsmacked that that touchdown was allowed to stand because I always thought when the ball's fumbled forward, you can't, you cannot advance that ball. Now, apparently, if the defender forced the fumble, it can be advanced. But I don't think the defender forced the fumble because the guy was reaching out mm, to try and cross the plate. So he dropped that ball and it went into the end zone. So he's advanced that ball. And when you read the NFL operations uh, rule book, it says if the team that, uh, if I don't know how the, uh, they actually word, I think the assertive team, if they fumble it forward and it wasn't the defending team, then they can't recover the ball. It, it stops where they fumble it. That's where it should be. So they can't recover it uh, in the end zone. And, um, get a touchdown they can recover it but then it gets pulled back to where the original fumble was because it wasn't touched by a defending player and at that time because they had re- they uh, recovered the original fumble the 49ers were the defending team so I'm very surprised that stood yeah I think as well Gareth um, Mariota beat us with his legs when you look at the stats he only went well only again went 13 for 14 for 129 yards but like Lee said when Ward went off our defensive backfield just looked totally different without number seven. And I'm hoping and praying he can play again this Sunday. But obviously, we'll touch upon that in the Chiefs preview show. Because the silver lining, Lee, is we've only got the Chiefs to prepare for this week. There's only Patrick Mahomes <laughs> and Kelsey rolling into town. You know what? Based off the uh, performance that we had on Sunday night, we'll probably rock into uh, Levi's and go and beat the Chiefs. You know what's going to happen. And then we'll all be sat there thinking, how on earth did we get beat by the Falcons when we just went and turned over Mahomes and Kelsey? So what about you, Gareth? Was there anything we've missed out that you wanted to add about the defence on Sunday? No, I think you you covered it nicely when you said, would they use our aggression against us? And I think that was part of their game plan again. It's a well-drilled team where clearly Mariota was told, wait till these players bite and then go. They used the play action very well. I think, you know, Womack would look poor perhaps on, on Mariota's touchdown. But I also think it's that it's that play action. It's that option that he's waiting for uh, Womack to bite enough and then get round him. And sometimes you can get as a defender, you get caught in no man's land and you, and you look silly if, unless you make a decision. So perhaps a little bit of an experience and perhaps, again, a good offensive game plan saying, look, there's a rookie there. And he's going to be tasked with this job and, and we can we can teach him what the NFL is is like uh, and and use our aggression on the defensive side a little bit against us. And they I think they got a good tempo going in between those those sh- the short passes and and the, the run game where I think Lee covered it with without uh, Armstead and Kinlaw in the middle carrying the load. The guys who come in and look good at spot cover 
aren't quite of that standard when they they've got to carry the load and have got to take 80 percent of the snaps they're sort of the guys who we don't look like we've got a weakness when they're taking 20 25 percent of the snaps to come in a spot cover uh and they're just not quite that level um and that's that's not really a criticism of them they're, there's a reason why they're the depth players not the starters um but that perhaps brings us on to the the injuries the ugly uh, they begin to pile up with a sense of inevitability that is becoming somewhat tedious. A lot of teams are built up and injuries are part and parcel of the game. But we seem to just get hit by injuries every single year. Uh, I think we're the most banged up team in the NFL currently uh, again. Is this just the random chance or is it just becoming too consistent and something to do with preparation, training, conditioning, player selection? Is there a reason for this, or is it just something we've just got to swallow and accept? I'll blame the government. <laughs> Fair or, enough. Or at least I would if my name was Martin Hughes. No, I think it's something that we've got to swallow up. Um, we play all of our home games on on grass, and I think the teams that constantly play on turf actually may have an advantage over us because they know how to deal with the turf a lot better you, you see when people are being tackled the way that the rock the, the, the way they roll their own legs up to make sure to make sure nothing's going to get stuck in the turf that type of thing i think the turf is hard on people's knees to be honest i think it's a lot harder the ground uh, the astral turf um and i think yeah it, it does kind of impact us a lot more and i think that's purely because we both train and play on grass Paul any Dr Paul well I mean yeah the turf thing is an issue close to my heart because I do believe that played an impact on me earlier in the year and I've done a bit of research into it and the content creators that we follow have been very vocal Gareth because you look at the 49er injury list I mean Christ almighty (laughs) you know You've got eight on offence. You know, you start in quarterback. You've got the running back, two tight ends. You start in left tackle, a tackle, a right tackle. And then you look at the defence. And I don't want to overthink this one because in terms of Sunday, anything that could go wrong, Gareth, went wrong. Mm. And touch wood, we didn't come away with any two serious injuries. And like Lee said there, you know, I wouldn't put it past the 49ers beating the Chiefs. But Nick Bosa was a big miss and... You do worry about the strength and conditioning, but I think we talked about it a couple of years ago, didn't we, Lee? And didn't we change the strength and conditioning team? We, so we've done it three what, years running. So you think, what more can the team do, Gareth, if, if they're changing that? But I do think there needs to be a conversation around the league about the turf, because I think there's conversations going on, Gareth, that it obviously it's a cheaper option than maintaining real grass, but you, yeah. they manage it in Las Vegas. They've got a real grass field in, in the dome, which is in the desert. So... I don't know. But if injuries keep happening and you think the NFL is built on its product, which is the players, and if you look around the league, Gareth, we're not the only team suffering from these injuries. But I think Lee's got a good point about the field and the fact that we practice on grass, we play on grass, and then you go and you play on a turf field. and It's just Mm. frustrating, isn't it? I mean, what about you? Do you think there's something with the strength and conditioning? Well, I was, particularly in 2020, um, I was thinking it was just... Uh, the chance if you look at every single injury in complete isolation you look at it and think well an offensive lineman's got pushed over they've they've fallen awkwardly or or they've twisted someone's leg you know you look at each one and you think it's random chance uh, and it, and it's part of the game but it's just it's always us and eventually when it becomes this consistent that it it's just constantly players 
um, on, on whatever we're playing at and whatever position, um, it's just beginning to look like a pattern and not just one bad season, which which everyone can get. But we just seem to be getting that bad season over and over and over again. I mean, 2019, yeah, we, we did well and, and, and had very few uh, injuries. We, we didn't have more than a league average, I think. But once again, we're, we're back on. So maybe it's doing some training on, on turf 5G pitches, maybe getting some specialist in to show the players what they've got to think about. I mean, even cleats or something. I don't, I, I don't know, but it's, it's just, it's becoming so prevalent year after year after year that you've, you've got to start looking at it being something more than just the random um, rough and tumble of the NFL that every, every team has. So I don't know. Again, it's a, it's a, I'm not being very helpful today. I haven't got an answer for that either. So anything more before we wrap up and put this one to bed, lads? So I think going back to the game on Sunday and, and what I've said tonight, I think the title of this podcast has actually written itself. And that title is Time is Running Out. It was running out in the fourth quarter and time is now running out on the era of Kyle Shanahan as head coach of the San Francisco 49ers. Do you really think Jed's going to entertain that, given the history it's, it's, of It's not technically time. Jed's uh, call. So it's John Lynch's call. John Lynch is the general manager. He has the hiring, firing of the head coach as one of his responsibilities. Mm. And, and surely he can see this. If, if he's going to be that that blinkered, or, or if he's going to be so loyal that he risks his own job, then he deserves to go as well. But he was he's only in that position because he was handpicked by Kyle. I can see that that's a difficult dynamic when Kyle employed him almost, even though the roles are now reversed. Yeah, well, Kyle did have a say in John Lynch being, being appointed as the general manager, but you've got to get to a point where John needs to turn around and say, look, we're not going to go any further with you. Mm. Yes, it's going to be difficult, but it has to be done. Mm. And one one question before we do finish off. By any chance, is your cat right next to your mic? Uh, no, that is the army flying over uh, oh, wow. at fairly low uh, altitude as they they often do all right is Fair it yeah, fun now? yeah. yeah it has gone yeah yeah it's yeah. uh it's not the cat it's the uh, uh the vomit comet i believe they call it all right all i was gonna say gareth is it's a hard defeat to process this one given the you know where the falcons were coming into this but lee it's not all bad mate we are top of the nfc west we are know? Three and three, like everybody else in the division. So I am clutching at straws here. Well, I mean, I'll say the age-old NFL saying, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And by the time we get back from the bye week, hopefully we'll have a glut of first-team players come back and then we can go on on a run because in uh, December we've got three home games off the belt. And you've got Mm. to remember, the season isn't over Last year, we were three and five. We lost in the rain. Until it's over, Lee, in the NFL, you just got to keep that faith. And we'll all be back, Gareth, for the emotional roller coaster that is the San Francisco 49ers. It is. We're, we're up, we're down, we're, we're back up. But I think, I think you're right. It is, you can read too much into, uh, into a single defeat. And I think we have covered it well, that fair play to the, to the Falcons. It was disappointing that we didn't have an answer. But uh, you've got to put hats off to a, 
Arthur Smith there, I think, for for organising both sides of the ball to beat us, specifically to go out and find the guys and make the matchups and and beat us. And they executed it perfectly. And I think that shows what what good coaching can do. So I think, uh, yeah, we shouldn't be too absorbed in our own loss there and just basically have to give a quick tip there to the Falcons, um, flush it and move on to the joy that we'll be facing the Chiefs at Levi's. So, lads, thanks for joining me. Um, I hope you were covering nicely. And thanks to everyone who listens to the show. Don't forget to like, subscribe and comment wherever you get your podcasts. And you can check out the YouTube channel by searching for 49er Faithful UK. We'll let you continue your recoveries from Sunday and let's hope that the team can do the same. Until then, go Niners. Go Niners. Bang, bang, Nana gang. We love the San Francisco 49ers deep in the heart. Like Joe Montana in the corner, deep Clark. Garrison Hurst, stiff form going 99. Don't get it twisted, one and all with prime time. John Taylor, Jerry Rice down the sideline. NDB, greatest owner of all time. Gruden, Walgren, Bill Belichick were all students. If Bill Walsh, don't ever forget.